So I want to get back to the discussion that we're having with Mellon, and uh, he was telling us about um, about some of these things that can really increase the vitality in the body. Um, you were saying that you actually came back with uh, uh, ideas for devices that would work to re-energize the body and help us to heal faster. And I would imagine it, there's a very real impact uh, that it has on our energy as well. You know, somebody who's starting to feel a little tired would probably feel um, uh, quite a bit energized by this, by the experience of this. Would you maybe talk a little bit more about uh, these things, um, the principle behind how it works, and, and you know, where are these things? Are, are they currently available? Are there some of them out there already? Uh, we've been in a, um, a long period of research in uh, no rush to bring anything out until we were ready. So maybe with uh, certainly by spring of next year, you'll be seeing um, these devices come out ready for the market, ready for the consumer. Right. Uh, many years of research. <clears throat> um, first thing we have to understand is that you are first and foremost an energy being. No two atoms in your body touch. Isn't that a metaphysical thing to yeah, think about? That is amazing. No two atoms in your body touch. In fact, there's more room between atoms than there is um, atoms in your body. Mm. Um, and uh, an atom is almost as large as our, as our uh, solar system when mm. you look at it in, in, in scale and perspective. Yeah. Um, that's why it, it, uh, we have to look at ourselves as first and foremost a nuclear being. And that's why the, the cutting edge today of biology is quantum biology, looking at your nuclear state, your atoms, as biology. Hmm. And also the, the cutting edge of nutrition today is electrical nutrition. Uh, there, are there are some very good books on this out there now. And this is a part of the field of quantum biology because if you're a nuclear structure, how do the atoms feed each other? How do you actually stay alive at the end of, at the last stage? Mm -hmm. I mean, the Russians discovered this. It's called biophotons and electron transport. Um, at the last stage, because no two atoms touch, they exchange electrons all the time, energizing themselves. And the food, uh, liquids, um, even the medicines you take in, the body is trying to convert at the last stage to something useful in electron form. Hmm. That's why um, about 98% of what you do eat is, is not processed completely because the humans don't have one of the greatest stomachs on earth of all the animals on earth. I mean, a shark can digest a tire, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a hawk can see 80 times better than us with uh, tele te telescopic vision. A, a dog can smell 40 times better, and it creates pictures in their head. They actually see a picture when they smell things. Wow. Um, so I, I think if we redesign the human being, we would have, uh, you know, a shark or chicken ballet. We'd have hawk eyes. We'd have dog ears. <laughs> It'd be a funny-looking human. I'd like to do a drawing of that with all the best parts of Earth put into one being. Yeah. But the, the, the one thing we do have is, is the kind of brain that we have, which is, in the end, this is why Gaia has given us the planet. Um, and I'll talk, ask me to talk about that before it's over, yeah. our manifest destiny. Okay. This is why we are the dominant species on the planet, and there's a very good sacred reason for it. Yeah. But getting back to your question. Yeah. Well, the the, um, well, uh, the devices uh, the and, and, and how they work, mm -hmm. and, uh, you, and you just mentioned something which would be fascinating to hear some details about. That you were saying... Um, uh, uh, electrical or electron nutrition? Transport. Tra uh, oh, electrical nutrition. Nutrition, yeah. I've never heard the term. Yeah, there, uh, look it up on the Internet. There's some very good books on it now. Uh, that's looking at it as uh, just the way I, I saw it on the other side is that um, your body is really living on electrons at the end of the game. You're an energy being. Uh, to a quantum biologist, the human body is very much like a wet cell battery. Huh. And if the uh, fluid is low, if the electrolytes are low, the battery uh, becomes uh, 
uh, weak, and the first systems that become dysfunctional are all the cognitive systems. When you're tired, think about it. Right. You don't think right. That's right. You don't, your eyes get tired. Yeah. They're the first to go yeah. uh, when you're weak and when you're tired. Uh, so that's a sign that you're low in energy. And, of course, you know, what is the big thing today with the baby boomers? Energy drinks, energy everything. Yeah. Of course, these energy drinks, for the most part, poison if you look what's in them. The, the, They'll the, burn uh, out your adrenals. and The things that are most popular, yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, soft drinks, uh, diet sweeteners, uh, these all in the end will rob you and shorten your life, I yeah. guarantee you. Yeah. Uh, not trying to poke at anybody, of course. I drank my number of Pepsis in my, in my life. But... Uh, so if, if you look at electrical nutrition, it sort of comes back full circle. It's things you already know, which, mm. which may, may surprise you. So if you're eating for electrons, really, you're eating for electrons. So what you have is what are the, what are the sources of the most electrons would be raw food, ah. uh, green foods especially. Mineral water, tap water, no one should be drinking tap water. It's barely good enough to bathe in. You need mineral spring water because minerals hold the electrons in your body. They're like um, a battery fluid. Okay. So uh, don't drink tap water, even if it's been filtered. And, and of course, there are these, uh, and I, forgive me for saying this because a lot of people have invested a lot of money in these things, but all of these filtering systems, you know, reverse osmosis, structured water, all of that, they're really starting off with tap water. Right. So tap water is what we call dead water. Okay. Uh, it'll hydrate you, of course. Uh, mineral water is giving you minerals. It's giving you uh, the stuff in which electrons can can attach to and have homes and become distributed over a period of time in your body. So the the the, the best foods in the world really are raw foods, green foods, um, uh, foods that are cooked very little. Like you know, sushi is probably one of the uh, perfect foods on earth for me. Mm. But also, uh, meat is not bad either. Um, it's really a philosophical argument whether you uh, are a vegetarian or a meat eater, frankly, because Cleve Baxter proved plants have feelings, and they know you're chopping them up, and they scream when you're sautéing them, so you don't get away that easy, you know, vegetarians. Um, but eating meat, we, we, why meat is so good, and, and there's a misconception of, of, there are a lot of people that say that meat takes too long to go through our digestive system. Well, it's supposed to because meat releases the energy very slowly. Mm. It was a way to, when we were hunters and gatherers, to have sustained energy. Vegetables right. release their energy and are gone pretty fast. Right. So um, taking a long time to digest has some beneficial benefits also if it's not toxic stuff. But, um, and, of course, the, the most perfect meat is raw meat. <laughs> um, raw meat will pretty much digest itself. And so uh, there are a lot of closet raw meaters out there, and I, I, I hear from them all the time because I, I talk about this, uh, that are coming out of the closet now. Um, uh, the, uh, a good piece of, uh, of uh, tuna, a, a good piece of, uh, say, buffalo, uh, uh, you know, you can just lightly sear them. Uh, but uh, remember, the more you cook something, the more you release its life, its electrons, its enzymes. Okay. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well, I, I, I'm fascinated by that. It's funny. I, I, I know my body likes meat, I've, and I'm, mm -hmm. I like good vegetarian food, too, but uh, I just tend to do a lot better with it. I do like sushi as well, so that's, that's, mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's a nice confirmation there. But it does make sense. I mean, you were talking about life force and sustaining the life force, and so anything that's got more life force in it. One of the things I've, I've heard about meat, um, you know, we have problems with the way a lot of the, the animals are treated mm -hmm. and, 
the way they're, uh, you know, so many things are injected into them. Mm-hmm. It is, it, there's a lot of mishandling of meat, and especially the the uh, uh, butchering and vegetables too. Well, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So we're in a situation where we're, you know, we're becoming aware of the real story more and more mm-hmm. behind how things work. And, of course, it's very, very uh, enlightening as we go. And some of the things we're uh, probably most of them were very surprised by. Um, just the revelation about the uh, about uh, um, how our body is nourished. You were just saying that, you know, when you finally get down to it, it's it's this, you know, the electrons, this mm-hmm. fine grain of energy. And it's a very small portion of what we eat. Um, do some of these devices that uh, that you've been working on, are they the kind of thing that would actually help to... Uh, enhance and, and provide nourishment directly through, you know, the transfer of electrons. Absolutely. That was my first premise. Oh. And uh, the spinoffs after that have been pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. But uh, originally, um, I wanted to build this device I was shown on the other side, which will recharge the human body with electrons or what you might call chi or mana or prana. Um, even if, uh, like I said, even if you're the best healer in the world, how many people can you see a day? Yeah. And we've, and we've, uh, we have, um, we have uh, tested our equipment in the past with Shigong masters, healers, and um, with some stunning results. Uh, not putting anybody down, but um, uh, this technology is perfectly clean. There's nothing cleaner than an electron, and it never has a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> it has no personality. <laughs> And are these things that, uh, uh, when they become available, they'll be um, fairly easily accessible, would you say? Like, you know, if the ordinary person wanted to, to get a hold of something like uh, that. Absolutely, um, in a variety of price ranges. The funny thing, though, is um, there's, there's, uh, there's a whole segment of people that really take care of themselves. Yes. And then there's a whole segment of people that don't. Yeah. So this may not be for the people that are not taking care of themselves. Yeah. Because uh, you probably wouldn't buy it in the first place. Yeah. yeah. If someone was kind of in the in the middle there, something like this might actually help to push them towards greater health and longevity. Absolutely. Uh, in the in the early days of testing, um, my favorite test subjects were uh, when we would interview them were people who, who thought the whole thing was a bunch of hooey because <laughs> we wanted to see if it would go beyond your belief system. Yeah. So all the first test subjects were people that didn't believe in any of this at all. And I said, y- you're perfect huh. for this. Well, um, one of the things that uh, I wonder about a lot, like you've mentioned aging, um, you know, joints and, and regeneration. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're starting to see there are actually some things we can do nutritionally that will support joint health and, and regeneration even that's sort of putting the fire out after the house is on fire though yeah see that you got to be truthful with people yeah it's like most people will never be skinny because th- that's the, that's not the earth body type that's favored by gaia okay i mean if you don't have the body type you're never going to be skinny except through surgery or or devices mm-hmm. so you should be truthful with people mm-hmm. um and the same thing with health. Uh, once uh, you spend a lifetime of abusing your body in many ways, especially sporty people and athletes. In fact, uh, one of my specialties is studying people who have lived to be 100. Because yeah. what people don't realize, a lot of the uh, studies that have been done on these supplements and everything have been done on young male college students, not people in their 50s and 60s. Right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. I learned in Canada when I was working there, you should study a study and test a test. Um, it's very important to know... Uh, the demographic there. So uh, by the time you're 50 or 60 and you've you've played tennis all your life or been a skier, 
um, you've pretty much done so much repetitive stress injury to your body that you're dealing with a different scenario. So uh, what I suggest is, yes, there is a lot you can do. And my, my technologies will help you, uh, glucosamine, all that stuff will help you to a certain extent. Um, but if you're thinking of longevity, which is how I think, uh, and I've, been, I've really been thinking about longevity since I was in high school. Mm-hmm. The, the, the concept of why do we grow old and die has always fascinated me. It's still the most favorite subject to me. And if you study, uh, not college students, but you study people that have lived to be 100, mm-hmm. and they're just more and more now, and they're healthier and healthier. Um, forgive me for saying this, but on the major lists, uh, uh, Olympic athletes don't make it. Professional athletes don't make it. And again, forgive me for saying this, but I can't find any legitimate vegetarians that are on the list at this point. Uh, there have been a lot of myth stories like the Hoonses and others, but those are myth stories. They've already been debunked. Uh, if you have a culture that doesn't keep birth records, you, it's not a study. So uh, so w- uh, with cultures from uh, the Chinese to uh, the Europeans who have kept I- incredible birth records for centuries and centuries and centuries, and even longer in some cases, you have a good group. There's, uh, there's been excellent uh, databases now in 100-year-olds that go back 75 years scientifically, uh, brilliant uh, databases. And so if you look, if you study who lives to be 100 and why, uh, and this, this amazed me in my early days was that uh, some of my preconceived notions didn't apply. Like diet is not a common factor, no. period. No. The number one factor seems to be dental, good teeth or no teeth. Wow. Uh, secondly, um, by the time you've lived to be 100, typically you've watched all your friends and family die before you. So you, these are people that deal with loss. They get, ov- you know, they mo- they, they get over it. Okay. And thirdly, uh, forgive me for saying this, but they tend to stay away from doctors. <laughs> and I'm not against doctors, no, but, no. but I think we use and abuse doctors in the medical system. Once you get on the pharmaceutical bandwagon, well, yeah. you know, uh, pain comes and go and things come and go in your life. And uh, there are many ways to deal with these things. But um, uh, most people become uh, totally dependent on a medical system that is trying to help them. I'm, I don't believe doctors are trying to hurt us at all. But I do believe uh, uh, that every doctor I've ever worked with, I have forgiven now that I've seen how patients treat them. Yeah. It's amazing any doctor stays being a doctor more than five years because there's a burnout. It, you become jaded at about five years. Mm. So here you are. You get into the medical profession to help people, keep them alive, and they keep coming back to you smoking cigarettes wanting you give them a bottle of pills. So in about five years, the doctors go, here's the pills, go on. Right. So th- there's a reason why the medical profession is the way it is. It's, it's not that doctors are bad. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Well, and and the pharmaceutical companies come to mind. Of course, they're pursuing profits. They're used to mm-hmm. doing things their own way. Yeah. And, and the latest studies, this is amazing, the latest studies uh, done at Mass General Hospital in Boston, one of the great search hospitals, you can look it up, is, um, and this is something that used to be in, because I study studies and test tests, mm-hmm. uh, this used to be something that used to be in the material, but um, about 10 years ago or so, they started taking it out of material. Uh, the, the drug companies used to publish the placebo effect in the back. If you, if you read down far enough, you'd see the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. And uh, in almost every case, the placebo did as well as the medicine or better. Wow. They don't include that now unless you write and ask for it. And Mass General Hospital in Boston um, uh, has done a definitive, one of the most definitive studies I've ever seen on this, and um, they found the same thing. It's interesting, isn't it, that the placebo quite often is as effective or more effective than the actual drug or, you know, device. Well, it does make sense when we look at it in terms of the the thing that you were describing before, that uh, 
at the most essential level of nutrition and the most essential working level of the body. It's it's you know it's electrons. You know it brings us back to the understanding that we you know we really are quantum uh, phenomena. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense that you know the most important component is is a very essential energetic component. So anything that's going to affect us at that level has has a, a chance to have a, a strong strong impact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on another health subject, um, I heard you talking. Uh, I forget wh- who it was with. It was an interview. I, I believe you were talking about, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, um, uh, maybe it was in the Coast to Coast interview. It was uh, one of these really amorphous uh, problems that that people tend to have with energy, uh, like. Uh, Oh, um, oh, like uh, fibromyalgia, fibromyalgia, um, Epstein-Barr, yes. um, Lyme disease. And, and you again pointed out, uh, I'd love to hear you talk more about it again, but you were saying, again, energy is a problem, like the smog, the uh, the uh, electromagnetic smog that we have around Especially, us. Especially um, uh, things like chronic fatigue, which we view now as an energy system disease. Um, uh, and then when you check people's mitochondria DNA, you find it's not charging, it's not getting its ATP. Plus, uh, there are so many xenotoxins around us. People don't realize that they're poisoning themselves more than anything else. The, the biggest poisons you have in your house is right under your sink. It's all those cleaning materials, um. especially the ones that come in spray bottles. Because oh, right. most of the stuff you spray, 90% of it bounces back and you're breathing it. Uh. You know, all those products for dusting and, right. uh, and, and none of them have been tested, actually. Right. It's amazing how many, uh, Bill Moyers did a great special on that. And it's called, uh, you can get a test called your body load test to look at xenotoxins in your body. Hmm. So we're mostly poisoning ourselves and the, the government, nor, nor us as individuals, have held uh, all of these companies accountable to test these things before they put them out on the market. Not only are the aerosols we're breathing more than you imagine uh, right in your own home and you're doing it to yourself. It's like holding a spray can up and putting it right in your mouth. It's also affecting the atmosphere too, all yeah. the xenotoxins in the atmosphere, yeah. uh, including gas fumes and things like that. Yeah. Um, so uh, basically um, uh, you should clean with uh, uh, the substance on a rag. Spray stuff is horrible for your health and for the atmosphere. Most of it's wasted and, and it just makes more money for these chemical companies. Yeah, makes sense. Well, you know, we've been talking just for the last few minutes about uh, a mixture of things, um, you know, health and, and nutrition and, and uh, some very innovative things that you came back with. Um, but then we've also been talking about some of the real hazards and problems that we just touched on. One of the things that I'm just enthralled um, with when I hear you talk about it is the fact that you could see uh, in your experience with the light um, how that all the things that seem so daunting right now is insurmountable. I mean, problems that just go beyond our, our ability to imagine how on earth we could possibly move beyond them. Your experience, your sight down the road says, well, we're going to find a way. We are finding ways. Uh, we will naturally develop mm-hmm. solutions to these things. And we have such a marvelous potential that these problems that we see as so insurmountable are things that we will naturally learn to deal with. I'd love to hear you uh, talk a little bit about that if you'd, if you'd like to share some sure. of your perceptions. Uh, there's, and that's really good news once you get the big picture because the minutia is make you crazy. Yeah. It's like uh, imagine you're getting information. Say you're looking at the Mona Lisa painting. You're looking at it an inch of time. You'll never figure it out. You have to see the whole painting. That's what the information from the Gaia perspective, perspective gives you, the whole picture. What's interesting is, and, and this is a repeated pattern in, in uh, human history and in the evolution of the planet, 
that most of the great extinctions have already happened. Uh, several times, 90% or, or, or that range of life has been totally exterminated on planet Earth, and life came back. Yeah. Uh, every insurmountable problem humans have ever faced through history has been solved, and we have passed through it. The hu humanity really has um, passed through the worst of the worst already. Um, uh, there, are, uh, I don't know why people believe in all this end of the world stuff. It's like I ask them, then, do you want to believe that? Well, no, I don't. Well, why do you believe it then? I go, well, I don't know if I believe it. And I go, well, think about it a second, because the more you believe in something, the more you manifest it. Don't we know that already? You know. So, uh, if you're a person that believes the world is going to end, uh, you are you are trying to bring that about. But the good news is, is that. Most people on Earth have never heard of the prophecies. Most people on Earth don't believe in that. And most people on Earth want to give, want to live. It's a very Gaia thing, the, mm -hmm. the, the desire to live no matter what. It's just inherent within us. It's incredible, the regenerative powers of the Gaia and the universe. So um, uh, as bad as things look right now, um, uh, the country did not stand up to George Bush lying to us. We didn't stand up. We've had plenty, we, and we still have prop. We could stand up today. Yes. Now I don't get too political because it's part of the whole big picture. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you that um, because of our lacking education system, especially here in America, that we have a very a narrow sense of history, and so anytime anything happens, people run around like the, like the sky is falling. Um, we we do need to pay more attention because life's funny that way. Pay attention, you will be tested. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't learn your lessons, you'll repeat them, mm -hmm. and uh, you will, quote, die from them. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, one thing that's a little bit scary is uh, you've got all these evangelicals and, and even Muslims that believe that uh, they we need to end the world now. Right. That's scary stuff. And George Bush is one of those. Yeah. Uh, and you see, maybe this is what they're trying to do in the Mideast, is, is arm the Mideast, uh, totally, uh, totally make it dysfunctional. Because George Bush and, and people that follow him really believe the end of the world is near. Mm -hmm. Right. They, yes. they, they preach this every Sunday. Well, and they seem to be, as you point out, they're trying to facilitate that. It in looks some like it. Degree. So uh, we've got to be very careful about that sort of thing, this end of the world stuff. The good news is that most people are not Christian on earth, most people are not Muslim. And most people are actually beginning to fall away from these old paradigm uh, philosophies and, quote, relig organized religions. Yeah. Um, so um, what's beautiful is one of the things I saw on the other side that gave me tremendous hope, and I see it all around me now. It's like once you see it, you see it. And that is um, I was shown about H.G. Wells, and I was shown about Jules Verne. Remember him? Yeah. He, he invented sort of science fiction. Yes. And everything he wrote about in his time did not exist. Hmm. Mm. Uh, the children that read those books went out and invented everything and more in those books. That's a fascinating Count on observation. That. Um, uh, and I was shown that Star Trek is the Jules Verne's effect for the planet because it even, it, Star Trek is playing all over the planet 24 hours a day, huh. anywhere. Huh. E e even, uh, even people in small villages can pick up Star Trek if they have a satellite. Many do now. They may not have water, but they have a satellite. That's kind of interesting. But uh, I wasn't a Trekkie before I had my near-death experience because it was all the William Shatner stuff. And God bless him. You know, that was like Shakespearean theater, but um, with a little Monty Python thrown in. But uh, from the next, the next generation on, from Picard on, we're seeing the future. And if you look at what that's really about is we get past the time where money is useful. It's not useful. There's abundance for everybody. There's replication technologies. Food is... You, you then are allowed for the first time in history to be free to be you because we're not meant to be industrial animals. 
although that's been a valiant time to be alive, the people of the future look back on us now as the giants of history because of what we're doing. Hmm. And we don't, we think we're messing up. Well, so did most people that were following George Washington think he was really messing up. And he had, he had a difficult time there. And even he didn't know what would become of everything in the end. Hmm. So the, uh, what we see happening on Star Trek, our children are actually inventing now. They're actually uh, in laboratories teleporting molecules from uh, one end of the lab to the other. Replication technologies are coming in now in very interesting ways and ways to replicate food and water. There'll be no lack in the future. And the other thing is that I was shown is that prophets have been more wrong than they've ever been right. In fact, if a prophet gets one thing right, it's like a career for him or her. Um, and, so, and so what you have is... Uh, the futurists have always missed the big things. All, all, even people with our supercomputers and all these futurists, just like the ancient prophets, always missed the most important things that were going to happen. Hmm. Like no one predicted the Internet. No one predicted television or the telephone. You know, no one predicted these things. Um, that that uh, what I call over-the-horizon technologies. They just come over the horizon one day and show up. Hmm. This, is a, this is a pattern. It will continue. The over-the-horizon technologies that are just around the corner, and it seems like they're always here right when we need them. That's kind of interesting. Mm. Uh, to feed the world, to give comfort, um, uh, are pretty much here now. We're at the first time in the history of the world where we can technically comfort and feed every human on Earth. But we have to have, you've heard of the Magna Carta? Yes. In which uh, the common man got free of the divinity of kings? Okay, right. There's going to be a new Magna Carta that I saw of human rights. And because... This is something I have to tell everybody. Uh, I was shown on the other side that there will never again be as many jobs as there was once before. That time is over. It's like the great white noise that politicians can't deal with, the church can't deal with it, and the enlightened people in these government and, and in the uh, church institutions know this because of automation, artificial intelligence. Do not fear this. It will set us free. Um, uh, the transition might be a little rough for a bunch of us, but we will get through it. Um, the most of our past was not industrial. All of our future is not industrial. Uh, we will be. We, we have not even been set free yet. And so, uh, so right now we judge humans on how much money they're making and if they have a job or not as to their value. Yeah. When from the Gaia perspective, just having made it here all the way up this DNA, all the way up this Jacob's ladder to this point, is an astounding heroic event and worth everything. So in the future, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't really even matter what you do. Hmm. What really matters is that you're here with us and you increase our self. Because right now, we need more people on the planet, is the other thing I was shown. Don't fear a population uh, growth up to a, a critical mass, because it's already happening. Mm -hmm. uh, you already have zero population growth in many countries. We're going to hit an optimum population density that forms this new brain on the planet called a global brain. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, when this forms, we actually become a different being on a planetary scale. So is our experience will also then be transformed? That's what I'm wondering. The pressures of an increased population will change politics and everything on this planet. What we need to do is educate people, make them problem solvers, and, and don't have things go re resort to violence. You know, that's by, And that's why we need more money in education. We need more money in, in turning out superior human beings, not superior engineers. Yes. The class of 94 is still looking for jobs. Yeah. Don't fear this. Uh, what we're going into is an incredibly beautiful future. And uh, people have often said, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How do we do it? And I said, we will not figure that out. Our children are figuring it out right now all around us. Have you noticed? Hmm. They're very different than us. 
they don't believe in Social Security. They don't, they're not relying on the government. They're forming new families outside of bloodlines even. They're forming the new non-industrial society in which we will be highly synergistic and yet even more of an individual and uh, this will bring on, the, this pressure will bring on the last changes and a part of this will be something like a Magna Carta of human rights for the planet. In other words, just because you don't have a job, just because you don't have a lot of money does not make you worthless. Yes. And this is where the meek inherit the earth through this Magna Carta. That's a fascinating observation. Um, you, we can see our recent journey through the last few generations um, that we have had a breakdown. I mean, we've when the Industrial Revolution came along, we started to you know move out of villages and and gradually we left our extended family and then the nuclear family it started to break down and it seems that we've pushed this as far as we can go in a in a psychological and sociological sense. Um, and, and we have all these things that are so dysfunctional about our culture and the problems of depression and isolation. So what you're saying about the kids is very interesting there, that they're forming new families. And it almost seems like uh, we're seeing, we're witnessing this. There's something that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. It's a very functional, natural next step mm-hmm. that will occur because we've kind of pushed the furthest limits of what we can have as far as you know, our own individual experience, and we've seen the good it's things. It's time to grow up. And, yeah. But, you know, uh, there's a certain part of your, evo- uh, your evolution, your personal development, where you have to become, at some point, extremely self-centered to find yourself, hmm. and then out of that blossoms uh, a more universal human being. Yes. You look at most of the people that have made immense wealth, they have, at the end of their days, become philanthropists. Uh, and uh, most human beings that... Um, win lotteries and and um, are successful. Somebody tend to share it and want to share it. Yeah. In fact, one of our one of our duties really is if you've made it past survival, the first thing you should do is stick your hand out and pull the next one through. Yeah. The biggest leap humanity will ever make, which is bigger than uh, even spirituality, is going to happen soon, and that is we're going to transcend survival mode of existence on mass together. And until we do that, we're all compromised by the survival world we live in. We're not even allowed to tell the truth because integrity is very expensive. Mm-hmm. I know people talk about it and believe in it, but it's very expensive. Uh, yeah. The church doesn't tell us the truth. You don't tell your boss the truth, what you really think about him. Uh, truth can Truth up till now has been 50-50 is going to do any good at all and probably hurt you. So we're compromised by survival. We don't want to lose a job. I don't want to be excommunicated from the church. So we've, we're, we're totally compromised at this point in the game. But once we transcend survival, uh, then true integrity comes in, and we can help each other with that. One of the things uh, is that the near-death experience becoming such a big issue is one of the main things that helps us get past this. Because once you lose the fear of death and you realize you are an eternal being, then you have so many more options and people can't pull your strings nearly as much. Well, you, one of the things that, uh, that strikes me with this, very complimentary to what you're saying, uh, we've come through a period of history where uh, our, our religion, uh, especially I grew up Catholic as well. You had mm. the Catholic boarding school experience. Um, the soul is a possession. Watch out. You can lose it. Mm-hmm. Right? It can be taken away from you. Uh, you can, you can, you, it's precarious. Your life, it, and, and you're basically... Scary stuff. I was taught that as a child and scared the dickens out of me. And the truth is that your soul is your soul. You can never be separated. No one can ever take it from you. They may 
hypnotize you or convince you in some psychological way, which the church has done, that, that they really are the caretakers of your soul, not true at all. You can never lose it. You'll never lose your connection. And you will always, at this point, um, especially since you've made it to this level of being human consciousness, you will always wake up being you from now on. Yeah. And that carries responsibility, too, actually. Yeah. So, there's, so more knowledge, more, more uh, abundance creates more responsibility, actually. Well, the wealth of knowledge uh, that you're sharing, uh, I, I, I look at uh, Daniel Brinkley, uh, you know, the, the, the quality of, of experience that, that he shares. I mean, the guy, and the guy was a, an assassin before and the transformation that occurred with him, um, you know, it just uh, that's a mind blower. And there's many other people that are bringing that quality of energy. We're having um, a very uh, big change in so many ways experientially. Uh, things we're seeing old paradigm things that don't work, and we're being enlightened about other other possibilities, which I see you bringing forward in everything that you do. We're being given a different a different um, glimpse. Something some something different is is kind of presenting itself. Um, there was something. Uh, it was another thing I thought of a second ago. Maybe I'll remember it. I'm thinking also of Rudolf Steiner. Rudolf Steiner said that, um, with respect to our, if I can get this straight, with respect to our feelings, you know, our, our emotion, well, all of our feelings, it is as though we are um, barely awake or asleep. We're asleep but dreaming. But with with respect to our choices and our will, it's as though we're completely dead asleep. But he said that we would reach a point where we would start to see, you know, we, we'd start to, we would evolve to a point where we'd start to really understand our own actions, our own choices. Um, I guess my my long question here is is kind of like, um, it seems like we are, you know, we are breaking through something, we are moving through something and getting not only the veils, glimpse yeah. exactly, yeah. No. You're bringing that forward in your in your own work, and I guess that's that's also part of what you would refer to as planet work. Is that is that right? Yes. And uh, one thing to understand from the Gaia perspective is that <coughs> human beings is are the youngest and probably the last species on Earth. Uh, the only new species really since humans are the ones that we have made. Hmm. But but uh, although uh, we do genetic engineering, nature does a lot more of it than we do, and always has. What's interesting is that human beings, being the youngest thing on the planet, are still very childlike. Mm. And you know, children have imaginary friends, and you know that's you know it's fine, unless they're scary. And there are some scary imaginary friends popping around. So we have a lot of that going on right now. And uh, one example of this is the uh, most recent brain study they did with uh, brain mapping people have discovered that most of us on the planet right now are daydreaming 51% of the time. Even as we're talking, even as we're reading a book, even as we're watching a movie, uh, we're daydreaming. We're somewhere else. So we're not really quite present yet, like a young child. You know, there's a time when you become present. Mm -hmm. You start taking better care of yourself. You become more responsible. So the uh, the maturing of the human species is at hand. We're, we're growing up. And in the book I'm writing, there's a chapter called There is a Well of Tears at Childhood's End. And uh, think about when you had to leave home and face all the bills on your own and all that. That was kind of tricky for most of us right in the beginning, but you get a grip on it, and you become a lot more responsible than when you were a child and everything was handed to you on a silver platter. So human beings um, are not quite present yet. 
we're, we're still daydreaming. We're still in a little bit of la-la land 51% of the time. Hmm. And so as humans wake up and become more cognitive, more conscious, a lot of uh, what we call misery, a lot of what we call uh, delusion will disappear. Hmm. It's, uh, very naturally. Very naturally. Just because there's, we see a clearer picture of, of mm. what's happening. Mm-hmm. And the, the important thing in, in this evolution is to excuse me, realize that there's no magic in an adult. All the magic's in your child. So an adult without a healthy inner child is not a magical person. They may get into power or they may get into self-abuse. So the trick is is to always keep that magical child alive. Play with it, feed it, make it, keep it healthy, because that's where the real magic in us comes from. I, I, if there was something that you said uh, in another one of your uh, interviews that uh, had to do with you were recognizing there were several different types of meditation, and uh, most frequently people just do the zeroing out, mm-hmm. you know, become, you know, still their mind, that kind of thing. But you pointed out there was at least one other kind of meditation that was much more passionate, much more energetic, and you said that actually was something that was much more useful for creativity. Yeah, manifestation uh, meditations, and there's many, there's infinite number of meditations, but uh, a really good one is to have a passionate meditation. Uh, you want to you want to breathe, you want to get this good feeling going up your spine, and you want to focus on what you want your life to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very important to, uh, and I call it prayer, is very important to stay in your prayer. Uh, I pray about three times a day, but it's only about a minute. But in each time that I pray, I remind myself who I am, what I'm here for, because we can lose that easily in this world uh, with everything going on around us. Um, we're, we're, like I said, we're drifting off 51% of the time anyway. Mm-hmm. So you need to create your own prayer, and that prayer is, what is your life about? What are you about? And stay in that prayer. Stay in that prayer circle of your soul. Um, and to create other prayer circles with other people. It does, it's not a religious thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, a passionate meditation is a, is a prayer that uh, helps you manifest because it takes passion and energy to manifest. Um, I've seen a lot of people use these, what I call the zero-point meditations as sort of a form of escapism, and mm-hmm. that's okay. You know, the, the world overwhelms them a little bit more than some of us. But um, it's passionless. Uh, it's, it's disconnecting in many ways. Uh, there are other forms of meditation that connect us in many ways. There, there are forms of meditation in which you can do soul travel and travel the universe. It's incredible. Well, connecting what you, those two things, um, the uh, keeping the, the life of the child inside of us awake and that kind of prayer, that energetic, passionate prayer, those two things to be seem to be so important. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of times, of course, through the heartache and the traumas that we find, uh, that we get to cut off and dissociated from that vitality. You've got to uh, let the inner child out in a safe place and play. You've mm-hmm. got to do childish things sometimes, like toys at the beach. Uh, it's very important to do childish things. Uh, I'll, g- I'll give an example that recently happened. I was uh, just in Sweden recently for a series of lectures, and uh, one of the days I spent the whole day at the Rudolf Steiner Center oh, in wow. Sweden, which is a phenomenal facility, including a hospital, a hospice center. Uh, it was a phenomenal uh, facility uh, based on you know all the Steiner uh, work. Um, 
But it was a very heady day, as you can imagine. It's very heady stuff. And so I spent a day with them. We're talking all the heavy, heady stuff. And as, as I was leaving, I'm going through one of their gardens where they have the water vortexes and all that. And in one of the gardens, as, we were, as they were walking me out, the head of the center or the two heads of the center and a few other people walking me to the parking lot, uh, I came across this uh, one, one garden that we were passing through that was nothing but clover on the ground. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I stopped for a minute and I said, uh, has anyone ever found a four-leaf clover? And the head of the institute said, well, I haven't done that since I was a child. I said, well, let's just see if we can find one. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm kind of known for this. It's, you know, everybody has a few tricks up their sleeve. So um, I said, uh, see if you can find any four-leaf clovers. Nobody could find any. And I said, well, come here. I, I have this thing. If there's one thing I have, it's relationship with clovers. Can't explain it. It's, I'm, I'm well known for this, and this has all been photographed. So I said, let's just stand in a circle. And then I wave my hand, and I go fours and more fours and more, because I found up to nine-leaf clovers. So nobody could find any. So I go fours and mores, and then they look down, and everybody starts finding clovers, like bouquets of them, four and five-leaf this day. And for the next hour, these heady intellectuals were on their hands and knees, crawling all over the clover like a child, and it was so regenerative. Finally, I had had to stop them and say, listen, we've got to get back. (laughs) But we all had bouquets of four and five-leaf clovers, which we photographed. Oh, my. You know, um, um, so everybody has some kind of manifestation they can do. For some reason, I have this affinity with clovers. Uh, a good way to get uh, clover luck is to eat one. Really? Four-leaf clover you or have, better you when you find them. That was one of the things I was kind of fascinated with. I don't know why. When I was a little boy, and I used to find them as well, uh, not quite as prolifically as you do, but I would find them, and I and I saved a couple of them. I never ate them. I should have tried yeah. that. So. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, now I have a son. Uh, got two. Uh, so we got two girls at home, um, and they're older. And we have a. I have a little boy who's seven, and I just enjoy it whenever I see them. Um, um, and their their joy overflowing. They squeal with you know laughter at something. It, it it's not every day that you get to uh, to see that to experience yeah. that. Um, but it is precious, and it's wonderful to hear you recount that and, and talk about how important that is for us. It really us. is. Find something joyful and childish to be into on a regular basis, you know, yeah. not in anything dangerous. I, like before, before I had my near-death experience, I'd been a rock climber, a skydiver, and all that. And uh, I saw how valuable life was that I, I will never throw myself out of an airplane again, not out of fear, out of respect for out life. Out of respect for life. I, um, I'm also a skydiver, yeah. and I stopped um, for, but out of respect for my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just realized, yeah, this, you know, it's, it's precious. But, you know, it, the, the experience was very good. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I had the experience. It, it's changing, changed my perspective, and that's one of the main reasons. I know the I first time that. you jump out of a plane, it's, it's a quite an experience. Well, and they taught me. The way that they taught me was that over in Lodi, uh, you crawl out on the wing. You oh, hold yeah. the wing strut. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And I was a pilot. I had <laughs> oh, also really? trained as a pilot. So, you know, like climbing out on the wing strut, you know, onto the gear, holding on, and then you got to hold the perfect arch before they'll give you the thumbs mm-hmm. up and you can let go. Mm-hmm. And then throw yourself off. Yeah. And you go, what am I doing? No, that seems ridiculous. <laughs> but I actually went, I did about 14 mm-hmm. jumps and that was plenty. And, uh, okay. All right. But I agree. I, I think anything that helps us, I, it's, we have so much today, which uh, all these, you know, television programs and movies, there's so much about all this action and distraction and it's adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, like you were saying, uh, there's this great d- desire for driving ener- energy or, you know, and, and maybe a certain amount of that is just distraction, uh, you know, distraction from whatever else is going on and, mm-hmm. and uh, our pain. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a place that we can get to that uh, uh, 
where you can find just the joy and a little bit of quiet and play. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it sounds like what you're saying is this is very essential for, yeah. for our health and for, for Go our... Go build sandcastles, build models. You know, there's an infinite way to uh, play with your child. Well, it's fascinating, too, coming from your experience, because you've had and continue to have these amazing, profound visions of, of how things work, and I'm sure that's ecstatic. Uh, but then also recognizing the importance of just a little bit of playfulness and joy, how how, how nurturing that is right. for our body. So I'm imagining, too, that, that that causes an energetic change in us, and it allows us to uh, to exist differently, and it changes our energy. you have any, uh, any insight about how well, that's favorable? It sure does. It's also important to do good things for others, is to get out occasionally. Um, uh, maybe, uh, maybe on Thanksgiving work at a shelter. Uh, I've done that. It's, it's an amazing experience. Um, uh, do, doing good things for others, and it doesn't have to be globally. It could just be locally, which mm-hmm. I prefer. I prefer local global at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of global projects going on. doesn't seem to be that many local <laughs> projects going on with people you actually know. Yeah. Um, gifting someone, helping someone. You know, what is that? Random acts of kindness. You know, yeah. it's yeah. really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, to get out of yourself and to get out of um, your routine, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's wonderful stuff. Um, uh, I haven't mentioned it recently. I'm talking with uh, Melon Thomas Benedict. We're going to have to wrap it up in just a couple minutes. Um, but Melon is is someone who has a, an amazing amount of uh, of experience, and and uh, um, it, it comes from uh, from 25 years ago when he went through a death experience and came back from that. You can find out more about his work. Uh, he has some of his uh, interviews up available on his website, which is melonthomas.com. That's M-E-L-L-E-N hyphen Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S dot com. And um, I imagine you get a lot of traffic to your website. Is that something that, uh, is it in the thousands per day? Yeah, like 30,000 this month. 30,000 just this month? Yeah. Uh, it would seem to me that uh, thousands and thousands a day wouldn't be wouldn't be uncommon with the uh, things that you have to share. Yeah, it comes in waves, and uh, I I try to read every one. I try to answer some, and um, uh, I pick uh, several uh, a week. Uh, that I just, if they leave their phone number, I'll just call them, just call them up and talk to them. Well, it is possible for people to call and have consultations with you. That is something that you do now. Yes, we're, I'm beginning to do that again. I, I, I used to do it, and I really enjoy it. Uh, these are like more personal, private consultations, which you can find out about on the website. There is information available mm-hmm. there. So on the website, mm-hmm. then, there's also a way for people to uh, to, to send you a question or to or right. to, to, to communicate with yeah, you. And we, go th- we go through them all, and we put them into different categories. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, great questions, which um, you know is wonderful book material, yeah. and um, uh, person a lot of personal things, or a lot of people uh, hurting out there and need some hope. Uh, and the reason I, I keep doing this is uh, it, it amazes me to this day that people get so much out of my story that they do, and that's the main reason uh, I put up a website and continue to do that part of the sort of a public work. Um, it does take up a number of hours during the day, but uh, people seem to get so much out of my story, it amazes me. I, I, I think it's because what I'm saying uh, speaks to that ancient part of yourself that already knows this, that is, is waking up to it again. This is why there's a, there's a resonance with this uh, information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It definitely is. I, I have felt it uh, just hearing your voice uh, in, in your 
presentations in your uh, mostly these are interviews. Um, do you also do any um, workshops and, and presentations these days where people can come and actually, you know, uh, listen to what you have to share on a particular subject? What, what's going on as far as those? I, I do. I uh, sort of retired from it in about 1996, but I'm um, uh, uh, but I'm back now, and I do a sort of a tour around the country each year. Oh. Uh, I do. Uh, I'm going to be in Berkeley at the Ion uh, International Deaf Association IM's uh, Center there in Berkeley on the 17th of September. Okay. Um, uh, I, I like to work with IMs uh, around the country. I also uh, have certain cities I've always had great rapport with, like Chicago, the Edgar Casey Center. And uh, the, the problem with being on the road so much is you lose your life. Mm. And so thank, thank God with the Internet and, uh, uh, say, video conferencing, which we're developing now, we'll, I'll be able to get out more than I ever have before without losing my life because... Uh, uh, living in hotel rooms and uh, being surrounded by strangers for years and years at a time really had an effect on me. Yeah, yeah. So, but but thank God now you can uh, you can actually uh, get out to the whole world if you want to. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm really glad that you had those recent um, um, uh, lectures uh, available or interviews available because mm -hmm. they're fascinating. Um, uh, and and usually, you know, with a radio audience like this this audience today, if you're blessed enough to be out there listening, I'm very glad that you have been listening. But it's wonderful that uh, you can pass that on and then, you know, republish it or, or you know, post it on the web. So I, I'm very happy to to, uh, to help with that. But I hope that you continue to do that because um, I would very much love to uh, talk with you again anytime soon. And we'll hopefully be able to set that up. But I'm hoping that also those other lectures and, and uh, interviews that happen, that those get posted as well. Because I, I just get the sense from our conversation, there's just a wealth, an abundance, a fountain of... Uh, Seems to be that way. Although I, uh, I always tell people if I don't have any information on a subject... Um, people say, how do you remember all this? And I don't remember any of you it. You don't remember. It, it just I'm comes. Just tapped in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can tell. Well, <laughs> thank you for being tapped in here today with us, Mel. It's just <laughs> a, a pleasure. real pleasure. God bless you. I'd love to come back. Well, yeah. we'll do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm so thrilled that you live not that far away. It's, it's, a, it's a real blessing. Melon Thomas Benedict has been our guest today. I've been listening to KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Melon. And thanks to Bob. And thank Simon. you for coming to Simon. Thank you for coming. This is filmed today. So God bless everybody. Uh